this week on the It's a Monkey podcast. But actually, research on happiness has shown that people are happier who have time in their day when they don't do anything at all, where they're able to just be, whether that's in meditation or walking in nature or just sitting and, and contemplating and not having to do anything. You know, if you think about how we evolved as humans, we probably had a lot of free time. We would hunt and we would take care of our children and we would, you know, do the obligations that we have, but we probably had a lot of time where we could just sit and look up at the stars and contemplate our own existence. And I think that's really important and it's really overlooked in the Western society just to have that time to unfocus. Morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. It is Friday the 18th of August 2017. Thank you for joining us on the It's a Monkey podcast. With me as usual is my co-host Kate Frappel who's the design lead at Manage Flitter and soon to be Manage Social. Um, I know we've been talking about Manage Social for a while but uh, we are still working on it and it's uh, going to be a wonderful tool for social media managers for Instagram, Twitter, etc. So watch this space. If you missed episode 102, please go back and uh, have a listen to it. It is a fantastic one. We talk about all things related to remote work. Yes, last week was Rachel Baskerville. This week, we've got a fantastic interview lined up. I actually spoke with Yuvi Ivanova, who is the co-host of a podcast called Future Thinkers, which I stumbled upon and is a fantastic podcast where I've heard some super smart people talk that's the wonderful thing about today's media landscape is you can access the best minds in the world for nothing. It still blows my mind. Anyway, if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Special shout out to you. This podcast, we try to make it an, an, as if you're listening on an interesting discussion around technology, entrepreneurship, um, startups. And uh, you can always email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. You can tweet us at monkeypodcast. Uh, we love to hear from you. And uh, we'll get to the interview with UV a little bit later in the show. But as usual, we kick off with a couple of news items. Kate, um, what's going on in the, the tech landscape this week, new and exciting? So there's a, uh, a new smartphone app called Natural Cycles, which is the first app to be certified as a form of contraception in Europe. Um, and they're looking to take on the US next and hopefully get FDA approved. So just to be clear, it's not just an app, right? It's an app plus sort of a smart thermometer or a Bluetooth-enabled thermometer? Yeah, so there's a thermometer. I'm not sure if it's Bluetooth. I think it's just um, a regular thermometer. You take your temperature in the morning and uh, you log it into this app every day and it will tell you when you are fertile and not fertile. And basically it's been compared to or having as much effectiveness as the contraceptive pill. That's fantastic. I mean, I know there's all sorts of different evidence about the contraceptive pill and certain aspects of it are supposed to be good for a woman and bad for a woman. But personally, I love to stay away from putting things into my body where possible. So um, if, if I was a woman, this would anything that I could sort of not put chemically into my body is definitely a win, but it's still there's something so still sort of psychologically more comforting to a pearl than just just 
tracking a cycle though, right? Definitely, definitely. I was saying um, earlier, I, when I saw the advertisements for this at first, I thought it was literally just sort of like a calendar app and I thought, no way, like that's, that's not good. And then I guess now that they're certified and that they've got the added thermometer, it sort of makes you think twice about it. Interestingly, um, half of the women in this study, though, did get pregnant because they didn't listen to the app's advice. <laughs> so it's the human factor, right? But I'm sure that happens with the pill as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's like massive gaps if you um, don't take it regularly, I'm sure. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And um, I think, you know, that I think once people, the evidence really backs up and people get the confidence in it, you know, it's more just, it's the same with like autonomous vehicles. It's psychologically tricky to get your head around. But once you experience it and it's safe and everything's fine, it's, you know, you're psychologically over that. So I'm sure it's similar with something like this. If you, if you use it and, and your friend's using it and no one's had any issues and they're tracking everything right, then then it doesn't seem like such a leap of faith. But it's, it's certainly certainly an, an interesting um, interesting approach. And uh, as the article points out that you, you sent me, that drugs are incredibly expensive to develop um, yes. new drugs as opposed to apps and devices are a lot cheaper. Or at least, you know, because drugs, you've got to also go through this, this crazy approval process, which is fair enough because, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the, you've got to check for side effects and long-term side effects and all of that, where something like this is so non-invasive that it's sort of a win-win for, for everyone. So, um, yeah, interesting that it's got approval there. I'd be interested if I, uh, if anyone actually starts to, starts to use this. I think maybe, mm. I don't know, maybe if you're in an existing relationship and, and the stakes aren't, you'd only be 50% shocked or, or that, that if, if, if pregnancy resulted, but to totally rely on it, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it would definitely be a leap of faith over, at least at the moment, over existing contraceptive um, at the technologies. Moment. Yeah, at the moment, definitely. But I mean, at the moment, they're saying they've got 300,000 users in 161 countries. So tend to think it must be working for somebody. Plus the price point from like a user point of view is 52 US dollars per year, which includes the thermometer. Super cheap. Super cheap. $7.80 a month. Like, I mean, if it works, it's a good solution. What does the pill even cost? I I don't even know. I have no idea. I think it depends. Like, it depends on the country. Um, Apparently, in Canada here, it's quite expensive. Back home, um, from what I gather, in Australia, it could range, like, um, depending on the type of pill you have and the brand, the potency. Yeah, it ranges. And I think it's one of the many controversies in the U.S. is Planned Parenthood and giving free contraception and things like that. So, yeah, so it's, there's a whole political layer around that. But um, Yeah, I know some people that pay like $70 a month, some people. That's nuts. And, I, and, I've, and of course, where this could be really useful as well is in the – developing countries where sometimes access is a lot harder and there's also politically women are can be far more oppressed and you know things are a lot more complex i don't know you know i haven't really thought this through properly but um could also could also help in developing countries when they may have not have access a they may not have access to the pearl B, there may be cultural reasons why condoms and things like that are not used and it could provide at least you know, it doesn't protect against diseases, but it could at least protect against pregnancy. So especially if it's that cheap, 
I mean, $50 for a year, even in a developing country, someone could probably pull that off, right? Definitely. But yeah, as you said, the, the downfall as well is it doesn't, doesn't prevent STDs. I, I think I read somewhere about some app that um, it was almost like an, they're trying to develop like a, a on-the-fly STD checker. I mean, it's pretty unromantic, right? But sort of, you know, as the culture has moved very much more to a hookup culture, um, for better or for worse, and if you, you know, you meet someone, I don't know, you just do, do an instant check and scan in front of each other. At least you know what you're getting into. Um, that, that would be interesting. It would be culturally very interesting to see how that would play out as well. And that's a whole topic unto its own. Um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, definitely. But, I mean, I guess as well it's just a, like the mobile health space. Like this is something and even that STD checker, like it's something that could be very real if – you know, the market's there and people are happy to rely on their mobiles. The quantified self, right, is such a – I actually saw a spoof of, of Fitbits. You might have seen it going around Facebook about a new app. I can't remember. They gave it some cute name and it was an app that tracks how many times a day you think about exercising. Oh, you think about it. Yeah, so it's a, it's a spoof. It's a joke, you know, because oh, okay. you've got all these – you got Fitbit and, you know, you got all these apps that track your exercising, but they've developed an app that tracks how many times you at least think about exercising, you know. <laughs> you don't actually do it. Maybe yeah. quite successful. Most people do it's, that. It's, it's <laughs> an imaginary app just, just making a point that we've got all this technology, but at the end of the day, if you don't go out and exercise, you know, it's what's just, the point? <laughs> what's the point? It's like the teenage kid that's got, every, it's got the surfboard, it's got the hockey stick, got the rollerblades, got the everything, but just, just sits and watches TVs, you know. Anyway, that's, that's uh, an interesting, yeah, the, the whole medical app side of things is definitely um, coming into its own and hopefully we'll move towards a day where we can get continually monitored for all sorts of things. But it's being slower than we'd all like. I mean, the quantified self's been spoken about for ages. Uh, Fitbits and Jawbones been around for ages and there just there just doesn't seem to be um, anything that's really breaking through and has, has been sort of shifting our life on a day-to-day level really. Um, I mean, fitness trackers are still a little bit of a thing, but more than that, not really much that's that's penetrated, right? No, not yet. But I guess that's sort of why this in, this article was interesting to me because it's been certified. I think a lot of these things, especially when it comes to like the medical side of things, people need that level of trust. I mean, it's starting like this app's gotten certified. So, I mean, the more things that get like build up that trust and get accreditation, then potentially more people are going to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, no, totally. I think the accreditation is is definitely important because, you know, even with things like sleep trackers or things and, and, um, you know, heart rate monitors. And if if you don't know how accurate it is, it sort of can also not only be meaningless, but can potentially even be harmful. Because, for instance, if I, I don't know, just I'm not a medical professional, so I don't understand the ins and outs. But, for example, say if your heart track monitor is, is, is tracking that everything's okay and but something's not okay and, you know, if it's giving you false positives and false negatives and all of that, it's actually a problem. So, and particularly with this app, Fertility app, I mean, it's a little bit too late once the baby popped out to, um, you know, worry about the thing not working properly. So I agree with you. The accreditation is an important component in it all. Well, so what else is going on? We've got some new cameras coming or new chips um, for Android phones, um, Qualcomm 
which is one of the big providers of uh, chips, is, has announced that um, Android are going to have a, a whole lot of different sort of capability behind the cameras next year with things like um, depth sensing, which uh, I believe um, the latest iPhone already has some depth sensing where they use two cameras it's almost like the eyes. That's how we get a sense of perspective and a sense of depth is having that stereo vision. But uh, And the, the new iPhone has that with the two two cameras. But now the Android um, is going to have some, some easily accessible chips, custom chips that can help enable this, which have not really been available before in this sort of customized, mass, easily accessible manner. Tell us a, a little bit about what these uh, the capability that these chips should bring to the cameras? Yeah, so so Qualcomm make these chips and they're sort of looking at the phone companies to enhance AR and VR experiences on smartphones. So I think at the moment most of them are doing it. I mean, Samsung also have these infrared cameras that they're using for like iris tracking. So you can open and lock your phone with your eyes, but it's quite easily hacked apparently. So one of the camera modules that Qualcomm are proposing is a improved iris scanner. Uh, the second one is a passive depth sensor and the third is an active depth sensor. The difference is the first one is the, like you said, with the iPhone. So the two cameras slightly apart and they piece together the depth of the object. So it's similar to how like the human eyes work. So you've got one of each and it sort of balances itself out. And, uh, and the active depth sensor is an infrared illuminator which um, shines a pattern of thousands of um, little dots that the sensor can view and the distortion of those dots then creates that map of depth for the camera. So that's, this is the type of stuff that they, for 3D imaging and could really be useful in the AR space. Really interesting. I've started to get more into the Instagram. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just the same as my Twitter handle. It's K-E underscore G-A. And I can certainly see that, um, I mean, a lot of the big cameras, and if you're an expert photographer, you can get that depth of field effect going on. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting point you make. It's the next step to AR and VR and just really being able to capture something a lot more than just just a flat static image right definitely definitely and then these um, cameras as well they sort of complement a regular camera in the sense that they especially the infrared one they sort of film in black and white if you will and then the normal camera will add the color mm, interesting I mean I think I can picture a world where we'll almost just at the moment we've you know we've got video calling and you and I even are Skype video chatting at the moment but with these type of cameras with depths of fields and being able to analyze the contours, et cetera, you can almost picture where we'll have these little holograms next to us of someone, right? Definitely. So we'll almost have this 3D form in front of us live. And then there's the next stage, which gets a little bit spooky, but um, you could almost then virtually have someone there. So for example, you know, even someone an extreme example, someone who's passed away, you could actually virtually project them and, and, with, and with all the AI and all the tech and being able to have processed previous speech and videos from them, you could almost have a conversation with them, with their personality infused in them. Isn't that, isn't that quite, a, quite a concept, huh? Definitely. I think I, I may have mentioned it in an earlier episode, but 
there's um, a Black Mirror episode that's basically like that. They make this very lifelike human, which I suppose you could replace that with, like you're saying, a hologram. And it's powered by AI, so it learnt it learnt the deceased's behaviours, thoughts, their voice, all that sort of stuff, and then it just regurgitated it out of the yeah. out of the robot. Wow, it's just yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, I will almost in a weird way, we'll, we'll create immortality because then even if you've got a physical form robot that you can create and that person can, you know, that physical form robot can take the, the, the shape, be created in that person's image. It's, um, huh. yeah, it will almost, it's just, it's mind bending. The future is going to be so mind bending. But anyway, we're going to save some of that chat for the interview that I did with uh, UV even over. So um, we're going to take a short break. You're listening to It's a Monkey podcast with Kevin Garber and Kate Fapel from Manage Flutter and Manage Social. Thank you so much for listening to us. We're going to be back after the break with my interview with uh, UV Ivanova. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images. All with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. I am the co-host together with uh, Kate Frappel, who's the design lead of Manage Flitter and Manage Social. Manage Social's yet to be released, but we're working very hard on that. Um, now, I may publish a podcast uh, weekly together with Kate, but I'm also an avid listener of podcasts. I probably, I used to be a huge radio listener and I actually even worked in radio in a, in a previous life, but podcasts, I hardly listen to the radio these days and I listen to all sorts of podcasts, a lot of business podcasts, a lot of technology podcasts, even some sort of uh, self-development type podcasts. One of the podcasts that I stumbled upon um, a couple of months ago, I'm not exactly sure how, probably through Twitter, and I've actually been enjoying quite a lot, is it's a podcast called Future Thinkers that interviews people that are thought leaders in, in technologies such as um, the blockchain and, and, and tech, AI and those sort of areas, which is sort of the next phase of technology. And I'm excited to say I tracked down one of the hosts of that podcast, uh, Yuvi Ivanova, who's... Uh, uh, currently in Bulgaria, and uh, she's she's joined us on the podcast today. Um, Yuvi, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell me, how long has your podcast been going for, Yuvi? Um, well, we've been doing it for almost four years now, I think. Um, but we've been publishing kind of sparsely, uh, mm -hmm. maybe once a month, sometimes less. But uh, in the last year, we've been publishing more as it's uh, grown quite a bit, and we've started taking it more seriously. It started out as just a hobby, me and my partner, who is now my husband, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we just were having really interesting morning coffee conversations every day and uh, started recording them and publishing them and started inviting interesting guests. And that's how it, it went from there. I'll just read a little brief uh, from your um, podcast website, who we are. Uh, we are Yuvi Evanova and Mike 
uh, Gilliland, uh, the co-hosts and producers of the Future, uh, Future Thinkers podcast. We have spent the last three years traveling the world as digital nomads and exploring different cultures, alternative lifestyles, and out there ideas. We love thinking deeply about the future, consciousness, creativity, the meaning of life, the exponential nature of technological progress, and its implications for everyone on the planet. We are futurists, explorers, creators, and geeks. How cool is, uh, cool is that paragraph? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, you guys have been going for four years or so, and I think a lot of people would be very envious that you've managed to pull off this digital nomads lifestyle. I mean, uh, you, you've been traveling for three years. What do you do as a, as a day job? Uh, we don't have day jobs. Actually, uh -huh. This uh, that was written a couple of years ago. So now it's, uh, I think, four and a half years that we've been traveling. And um, we it's actually kind of a typical story as far as digital nomads go. We read uh, The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. Uh -huh. And uh, we decided to try that, to run an online business that is location independent so that we could travel the world. And we've been doing it ever since. And we've we've done all sorts of things. We started with just whatever we knew at the time, which was web design and, and marketing. And uh, it's kind of evolved. Then we started doing video and audio stuff and uh, had a marketing agency for a while and then got into the blockchain. And uh, so it's basically like... <laughs> Whatever we are interested in, we just dive into it and try it and do it and see what comes out of it. So what's currently paying the rent? Anything you can share with us? Yeah, actually, it's it's been quite interesting. In the last uh, about half a year, we've been working with several blockchain startups, helping them with their marketing and media production. So uh, And we've also gotten sponsors for our podcast. So oh, that's what's paying the rent currently. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I have to say, I've enjoyed a lot of the guests on your podcast. I mean, one thing about our industry that's so fantastic to work in our industry is there's so many smart people in our industry, right? It just attracts smart people. And it's just, I, I just love listening to smart people. One of the reasons we started this podcast is I love talking with smart people. And a podcast is a fantastic way. I'm sure you'll agree to um, to ask people for a chat. It's, it's a little bit easier to say, hey, come on my podcast and have a chat as opposed to, hey, let's catch up for a coffee for no rhyme or reason, right? That's actually exactly it. That's one of my favorite things about having the Future Thinkers podcast is because I can approach people who are brilliant, who are interesting and weird, who normally don't want to talk to randoms. And I can just say, hey, can I chat with you on my podcast? And a lot of the time they say yes, which is awesome. Podcasting is one of these um, activities that's just got total flow on a bene multiple benefits, you know, whether it's uh, raising the profile of your company or your personal brand and also building out your network and also you learn at the same time. It also keeps your communication skills and your listening skills sort of polished. So, uh, you know, if you're listening to the show, it's, it's not that difficult. Probably the hardest thing about podcasting is to commit to it. I mean, you mentioned you've, you've tried to, um, you know, ramp up your consistency. We also, we used to do sort of once every two weeks which then went through phases of slipping and we made a, a commitment Kate and I um, about 
is it about a year or so now where we go, we're actually going to challenge ourselves to do once a week. And we've actually maintained that almost perfectly. And we've had some fantastic guests, including people like Kevin Kelly and Melanie Swan and David Hanemeyer Hansen and John Demartini. And, uh, and it's, it's not always easy, but that commitment, I feel, is, is important in life. That's what takes you places. Yeah, uh, the the long term commitment is the biggest thing I think. Um, for us, we haven't been as consistent in terms of publishing schedule, but just just committing to it as a thing that we're going to do no matter what, that's been really important. Because sometimes it's hard, you know. Sometimes business gets busy and we have other things, but we just keep going with it because we know that it's it's meaningful for our listeners, and we get emails all the time about you know people saying that listening to our podcast kind of changed their outlook on life. And that's the best compliment that I can possibly ask for. That's fantastic. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. We all have so much to learn and, and we're living at such a, such a sort of uh, inflection point of society. And um, I think you guys, you know, the topic of your podcast is at the heart of that. One thing, UV, that I'm really interested in on that, that same about page on your Future Thinkers podcast page, your big hairy goal, you say, we want to create an eco-futurist community of thinkers, doers, creators, and organizers who are actively involved in building the future of humanity. This community will start online and move to in-person events and eventually to a real-life community. I want to say count me in on your real-life community, okay? I'm, ah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I, um, I'm very interested in intentional communities. I've, I've spent a bit of time in interesting intentional communities. I've, I'm involved in Australia in some um, very interesting volunteer communities, which, which I, I, I can share with you at some stage. And I just think, uh, I think it's the power of community is very, very understated. And, and also I think what sort of struck me when I was reading that, that paragraph is we're really not talking about and thinking about the type of future that we actually want as a society, as a technology-based yes. society. I don't hear any discourse. I hear discourse about the markets, um, about the price of property, about politics, you know, about left-wing, right-wing, security, terrorism, etc. But in terms of what type of future do we what type of community what type of world do we want to live in i hear very little about that yeah that's the really big question that we spend a lot of time thinking about you're absolutely right people focus on what they don't want rather than what they want and um that's part of our driver for this podcast is that we want to help kind of paint a picture of what kind of positive future we can have as a humanity because even in futurism, there's so much negativity. And it's it's not unwarranted, obviously. There are a lot of terrible things happening in the world and trends that show, you know, global warming is pretty terrifying at the moment. And we understand that. And we, we don't uh, ignore that, obviously. But we also think that it's really important to think about the kind of future that you want, not just as an individual, but what kind of future will fit all of us, all 7.5 billion of us, and the animals, and the ecosystems, how can we actually coexist together in a way that is not going to ensure our annihilation you know, or we, suffering? You know what we should do, UV, is we should actually start um, an online community. We should do that first step of, a, of an online community of people that start discussing this and maybe you know we can rope in eventually some higher profile people and get these, get these discussions 
going because there are a lot of smart people in the world and and magic happens when you put them together and and, and you create some um, you know discussion papers and white papers and 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 things like that and we've got all this wonderful technology and I'm sure all this wonderful technology can be used more than just watching cat videos and I've got nothing against cat videos but the spirit of technology is really to genuinely improve our peace of mind, our quality of life, and the simplicity of our life, in my opinion, and to uplift people that, that, that need uplifting. Yeah, this is why we our kind of new motto for the future thinkers that we've chosen is evolving technology, society, and consciousness. Because there's often a lot of focus on one of those areas, but if you overlook the others, then you end up you end up creating systems that just don't work in real life. So if you just focus on technology, then you end up coming up with technologies that make people miserable. If you just focus on society, then you end up overlooking what kind of effect exponential technologies can have. You know, some, sometimes technologies outgrow their initial purpose. It happens all the time. You know, Facebook was meant to connect college students, mm. and now uh, you can talk to your grandma on Facebook. And you can, you know, find people who might be interested in the same things as you. And it's, it's outgrown its initial purpose. So if you don't consider these kinds of factors, it doesn't work. So, you know, when sociologists don't think about these things, um, then their, their theories end up being, well, just not very useful in the long run. And it's the same thing with consciousness. You know, people who uh, focus on spirituality, for example, or on self-development, but overlook how that fits into society, how people actually interact with each other, and how technology fits into that. Then again, you end up with kind of hippies who are floating around in their own world and don't have a grasp on reality. And so this is why I like looking at all of those three things together um, to, to create a vision for the future that is based on ideas from those three disciplines. And I think I think there's too much, you know, humans have the tendency to silo, right, in communities. So the hippies don't talk to the technologists. The technologists don't really like talking to the bankers. The bankers don't like talking to the sociologists. And, and you've got all these silos, and yet there's truth and importance in all, of their, all their discourses and all their knowledges. So those, those, that, that sort of cross-functionality, ironically, doesn't happen. And I think actually the internet in a way makes it worse because you can you can hyper niche yourself and you can and you, you can have all this confirmation bias happening right yep. and i think maybe that's uh, sort of in a way the trump effect of of you have this confirmation bias and the radicalization of 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 everyone's point of views because we're actually not forced anymore to to rub shoulders necessarily at least virtually w with the diversity of views and and i think those those difficult conversations are not happening constructively. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Anton Wilson. He's a, an author that was really popular in the 80s and 90s. Um, he was kind of a similar type of guy as Alan Watts. He talked mm -hmm. about mm, sort of the, the spiritual implications of our society and evolving technology and what that means for the future. And so he talks about the concept of reality tunnels, where we isolate ourselves in a bubble right. and we, we get a certain idea about what reality is and everything we see confirms that reality. But of course, that's not the actual reality at large. That's just our own bubble. 
And people get very comfortable in those bubbles and they don't want to get out of them because it's, you know, anything that questions their bubble they see as a threat, even if subconsciously. And so his uh, kind of cure for that was to purposely expose himself to other people's reality tunnels, to read publications or, or watch movies or talk to people who have vastly different ideas about things, um, especially about sensitive topics like politics, sex, religion. And um, I think it's really important for everyone to do that because it's so easy to get stuck in our comfort zone. For example, um, we like to invite people on our podcast who are, you know, quite broad in their views. We had uh, James Hughes on the show, who is a socialist. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's also transhumanist. So he's not really, you know, one sided either. And uh, we also had Jordan Peterson, who is a lot of people consider him like the alt right hero. Right. And he's a Christian and, um, you know, very, very religious man, but also brilliant. And I enjoyed talking to both of them, you know, <laughs> So it's like understanding the value of a person's views um, while detaching yourself from whether you necessarily agree with them or not, I think is really valuable. And I think to, to learn how to, you know, have these conversations, you, you, you know, there's the, the only way we can move forward is if we can talk through the differences. You know, I grew up in South Africa and, uh, you know, in the time when Mandela was released and uh, the ANC was unbanned and the ANC became the government of the day. And I remember when Mandela was released, how they had about four stages of talks to put together the, uh, you know, the next government, including Mandela. And they actually had, the, they even called them, you know, they said that we're having talks about talks about talks. Then they had talks about talks and then they finally had the talks. They actually described it like that, you know, but they, they actually got there in the end. And there's, it, it was a fascinating process because you had people at the absolute opposite ends of the spectrum, political spectrum. They were lucky enough to have some selfless leaders that really held the whole process together so that even when the goings were tough, they kept on pushing it forward. But they pulled off a miracle, and that's um, just showed what can happen, at least when there's some intent and some strong, wise, bold, selfless leadership that can happen. But that's, you know, a divided world and a divisive world, it just, no, no one wins, you know. It's just, um, th th there's just no, no positive um, payoff to it. So I think it's fantastic that you have these, uh, you know, kudos to you that, that you, you find these alternative views and... and um, you know, because often the reality of, of people with different views is actually quite different to what we have in our head, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's tricky sometimes because, you know, if you view uh, somebody from your own reality tunnel or from your own perspective, it might seem like they're crazy. It doesn't make sense. Maybe they're stupid. What's wrong with them? But then if you actually put yourself into their shoes, imagine what it's like to be them in their reality, in their life. And suddenly you realize, oh, wait a second, if I were them in their body, in their situ situation, with their background, I would do the exact same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, a lot of the time we blind to our own contradiction. We also blind to our own sense of privilege as well. And there's all different types of privilege. You know, there's a million different types of privilege and uh, we're all blind to it, you know, and I think... I think that's one thing that, that we could all get a better sense of is our, our own sense of privilege. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's a shame a lot of this is does not get spoken about spoken about more and we just tend to uh, fight with each other on facebook you know and 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 uh, you know i interviewed kevin kelly on a previous episode of the podcast and he's just such a wise guy i think you'd really enjoy his new book if you haven't read it already and uh, he's such a technological optimist which is really fascinating and he says you know the future is going to be owned by people that are optimists and uh, i asked him the question you know, Evan Williams, one of the founders of Twitter, said, you know, the Internet has failed to live up to its promise because it's, it's so divisive and, um, you know, there's all the trolling and abuse. And he said, look, he's been involved in the Internet since the days of the well in the 80s. And he said it's never been anything different. You know, it's always been it's always been controversial and divisive and, and, and full of trolls. So, I mean, do you think the Internet yes. <laughs> do, do you think the Internet's living up to its promise, Juvi? Um, yes, I think so. You know, actually, I, I would like to circle back a little bit and answer mm-hmm. that question in the, in the framework of what you said about techno optimism. I used to be somewhat of a techno optimist. And um, in recent times, after, especially after talking to all the people in our podcast, I think I've become more of a realist. And I, I think that for the future, actually, it may be more useful to be a realist because when bad things happen, um, I find that optimists are often the first ones to crumble right. because their their reality tunnel is that everything should be good theoretically. And then when reality doesn't conform to that, they just get broken. Mm. And um, you you can see this with some of the hippies that were, you know, the, the rah-rah leaders of the 60s and 70s w- within their own communities. They, they make the best capitalists, you know, they say hippies make the best capitalists. And um, it's when people are overly optimistic, that can actually make them more totalitarian when the world doesn't conform to their optimism. So I think if you approach everything with a sense of equanimity, uh, where if bad things happen, that's okay, I'll deal with it. If good things happen, great, I'll deal with it. Um, I think that's possibly more useful. And so to to, uh, loop in the question about the internet, I think it's the same. You know, we didn't know what the internet was going to be. Nobody could have predicted what it would turn into. And it's so multifaceted that I don't think it's possible to say that whether it's good or bad or if it's lived up to its potential, because there are so many things that you can now do on the internet that we could have never imagined. Mm. And there's lots of things that we did imagine, and they're just maybe not that great after all. So, yes, the Internet is full of trolls, but it's also full of, you know, you, you can talk to people that you would have never had access to before the Internet days. And that's amazing. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I sense I'm a little bit older than you, but even in my time when I started university, universities had a total monopoly on information and knowledge and learning. You know, it was sort of just when the internet was coming out, sort of 93, 94, 95. And the only way you could access knowledge was through universities and libraries. And now it's totally or almost totally democratized. So the shifts have been have been seismic and significant, which is absolutely wonderful. I thought of I thought of, you know, when your your comments about um, optimists and idealists and realists, uh, a, a Björk line popped into my head that said uh, that where she sings, darling. Don't confuse me with your wishful thinking, you know. 
Yes. <laughs> and, I, and, and I love that line because so often people just project or they want something to be a certain way, but it's, it's never, actually, never actually been that way. Yeah, I mean, utopia, a utopian society will never exist. It's, it's always going to have downsides and challenges, etc., unless for very, very short periods of time. So it's, uh, it doesn't surprise me that the hippie movement uh, has... You, you know, was jaded. But Yuvi, tell us about um, what do you think some technology that's, you know, bubbling around that's, that people might, um, you know, not realize the upcoming significance of? Obviously, you know, blockchain is a big one and it's got a lot of profile recently and we talk a lot about it on our own podcast. But what other technologies that people might not be that familiar with but, but the potential upcoming impact may be uh, more significant than its profile leads us to think? Hmm. It's hard to say, but, you know, biotech is not really a sexy technology. It's not as sexy as blockchain uh, or blockchain kind of only recently became a sexy technology. But, yeah, I think biotech can have really insane implications for the future and gene editing and things like that. I mean, they're already experimenting with using CRISPR on humans and we just we're playing God and we don't know what we're doing. And, you know, scientists like to think that they know what they're doing, but we just don't know what the long-term implications of that is. So that will probably have quite significant and unknown uh, implications for our future. AI, they've been talking about for a long time, but actually after speaking to some AI uh, specialists and researchers, it's... You know, we imagine artificial intelligence as kind of more uh, a logical version of our own intelligence, but it's actually very different. There are certain things that humans do that machines cannot do. And, you know, there's they haven't found a way for machines to do that. Uh, Maybe with quantum computers, that might be a possibility. But, um, yeah, in terms of human level artificial intelligence i don't think that we're close to it yet even though it's you know it it could be a technology that could really impact our future but not again not in the way that we think i think it was kevin kelly on one of our i think it was him that said on uh, one of our previous podcasts where ai is not going to be you know people picture is going to be this uh, you know artificial human that does everything it's it's more going to be these niche applications and these specialized tasks where ai is really going to come into its own and so we're not going to have this complete replacement for the human um, which which makes more sense in a way yes exactly yeah, because you can train the AI to do a specific thing, and then it will do really it. really good at it. Yes. But in terms of broad intelligence and, you know, making complex decisions, uh, yeah, they're not anywhere near humans. Yuvi, you grew up in Russia, mm-hmm. and, then it's, and then moved to Canada, I understand, according to your bio. Yeah. And um, I've got a question. You know, it seems like... In our industry, at least in the sort of, you know, Silicon Valley tech startup world, there's been a lot of debate about diversity and bro culture and and um, misogyny, et cetera, et cetera. And in Russia, it seems like it's very common to have female engineers or at least a lot more common than in the West, right? What is your view as someone who's involved in the technology industry and, and an observer 
what's going on from sort of the community perspective and society perspective in terms of um, the diversity and the issues? Are they are they unique to to Western culture? Is there something else going on? Is it an issue? Is it not an issue? Should we not even be talking about it in this form because it perpetuates the problem? And interested in your thoughts on the on the broader topic? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Again, I think it's interesting to think about people's reality tunnels because overall the experience of living as a woman in Russia, there is definitely less freedom. The gender norms are a lot more strict, but there are certain other social expectations that maybe are more like certain things are just more acceptable for women, like women athletes or women uh, engineers, like you said, women scientists are a lot more common. And I think that might be a leftover from the communist era where they tried to really push equal opportunity for men and women and, and push men and women equally into these roles, um, which is, you know, it's, it's quite good if you grow up with the idea that you could do anything you wanted. And it, it does tend to produce, you know, girls who would normally want to go into these fields and, if they have the freedom to do it, they can succeed just as much as boys. But on the other hand, I think the, the equal opportunity is a good way to look at it, but equal division is not. So, for example, if you have a quota in a company where you have to have, you know, this many women, this many Latinos, this many, you know, sure. people of what, whatever ethnicity, I think it ends up being limiting in other ways because then people think of it as a quota rather than, people being there because they want to be there or being there because of, of their merit, because they're actually good at it. So, yeah, it's, I think that it's, it's something that should be pushed perhaps early in life where people have the opportunity and the social acceptance to do what they want to do. But trying to control it later in life, like on the level of the workforce, tricky. I'm not sure Very that tricky. that's... Yeah, I'm not sure that that works for its intended purpose. And also, when there's the, it literally becomes a supply and demand issue as well. It's very different. It's very difficult to just um, artificially create supply when it doesn't exist. It's if there's literally, you know, it's like property prices in Sydney are so sky high, and, and people talk about creating different policies, etc. And it's just if there's no supply, there's no supply. There's there's just there's literally the laws of physics. You know, so I agree with you. Sort of addressing it at a much sort of uh, earlier stage of that that equal opportunity and that equality uh, certainly makes a lot of sense. Yuvi, what's the favorite place that uh, you guys have been to over the last four years in all of your travels? Hmm. Let me think about that. Well, places are so diverse and they have such different things to offer. I thought Vietnam was really cool mm -hmm. because it's not not yet um, very touristy as far, as far as Western tourists go. And um, people are generally, I mean, if I can make a generalization, people are very authentic. They, they do what they do, not because of you as a tourist being there. They do it because that's how they want to do it. And I really appreciated that. You know, if, if you come to a, like a little soup stall in the middle of nowhere and they they don't want to serve you or they don't like you they'll just send you away and it, it might seem rude or strange but actually I, I learned to appreciate it because they just have a I don't know how to describe There's it no pretense 
Yes, exactly. That's that's exactly it. It's there's very different. It's very different to to in the West, where there's a lot of sanitizing and pretending, and uh, there's a layer of of uh, manners and 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 quote unquote decency that uh, you can't really sidestep, right? Yes. And and, and what, and what there's this, and what there's results? This hand sign that they do in Vietnam. Sorry to interrupt. You. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, there's this hand sign that they do in Vietnam that kind of looks like uh, screwing or unscrewing a light bulb, uh-huh. and it it means go away, like fuck off. <laughs> and depending on your facial expression, it could be quite rude. But um, yeah, we see that a lot in Vietnam, where if people just don't want to deal with you, they do this sign. <laughs> It's it's um, yeah. It would be it would be great if we we could be uh, a, a little bit more more honest with each other. I guess it would be. I mean, the Anglo societies are totally the opposite. I don't know if you've been to Australia, but it's heavily influenced, obviously, by England and and the Anglo culture, and very very big on manners. I always joke with people that one of the worst crimes you can do in Australia is when you're waiting to order food at a takeout or somewhere like that is intentionally or unintentionally order before someone that was there in front of you it's it's just like the the worst crime in the world it just seems like it's the rudest thing people get incredibly upset with that little little behavior so often if you're waiting everyone's checking with each other they were like uh, were you here first was i here first do you want to go no you go no you go no it's fine you can go it's uh, quite ridiculous actually that and often i just look at them and say i don't really i don't really care just go order it's fine it's not the biggest deal you know so it's interesting. I mean, what's the wonderful thing about uh, culture is you, you see the cultural relativism of, of everything um, is just so fascinating to see. I mean, you, you really get to understand your culture for the first time when you leave it, right? Yes, exactly. That actually brings me to something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, and that's in Western cultures like in Australia and Canada, probably in the United States too, people... Uh, the society optimizes for comfort, not for happiness. And so what you end up having is a lot of people who are comfortable, you know, things are things are easy flowing, you know, maybe the bureaucracy is not that bad comparing to the rest of the world. People are polite, you know, the streets are clean, things like that. And everybody is kind of comfortable and you go into a store and you can pick out anything you like, but people are not happy. And the the mental health epidemic in the western world it's It's, crazy it's insane right now it's crazy i I mean depending on which numbers you look at something like 50 percent of the population is mentally ill or has some sort of a mental problem in the west and this is insane and what that says to me is that the society is structured in a way that doesn't actually optimize for people's happiness and fulfillment so these things that we think of as oh they're going to make our lives better on some level maybe they don't and um, there's been some research, actually, that I've looked at that looks at what actually makes people happy. And um, some of it is, is quite common sense, like having a, having a community, having people in your life that you can, you can talk to, that you can be honest with about what's going on in, inside of your head, inside of your heart, you know, without being afraid that you're going to offend someone, where you can actually just be yourself with people. And another thing that this research shows is uh, service, having a sense of purpose in Mm -hmm. your life where you're actually serving others in some way that is unselfish. Um, And it's not just volunteering. I mean, volunteering is a great thing to do, obviously, but just having some sort of purpose in life that is not about you, 
and in Western society, everything is so self-centered uh, and it's counterintuitive in some way because you think, oh, what is going to make me happy? What should I go do? But actually, a lot of the time it's doing things that are not for you. They've even done some research that shows that when you volunteer your time, time actually slows down. I mean, not literally, because, but actually your perception of time. So, i.e., you gain time. It's some really interesting research um, because I'm sure, I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel that the more you try to get done and the more efficient you are and the faster you are, time doesn't slow down. It speeds up. Right, which is which is sort of sort of the opposite of of what you want, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I think a lot about this the you know contentment, happiness, fulfillment. I, I, again, I've I've also noticed that the mental health challenges in the West are just just out of control. It's just absolutely at epidemic proportions in in uh, in, in at least in the communities that I've have sort of insight into and sometimes I don't know if it's because it's the Maslow hierarchy of needs because communities you know in Australia is an incredibly wealthy country um, and it's just you know hitting up against the existential end of you know what's what does it all mean or it's because there is a breakdown of community and meaning and purpose and chasing one's own tail uh, there's also some interesting research that shows that uh, over about $120,000 a year more money uh, doesn't actually add to to your overall happiness in life. So once your basics and maybe a little bit more are taken care of, although the research also does show that if you're earning a little bit more than most of your peers, your happiness is higher as well, which is also very interesting. Mm. <laughs> yes, the, the monkey hierarchy, feeling like you're an alpha monkey, does stroke your ego in some way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We are, we are definitely uh, complex creatures. Do you ever feel like when traveling, you know, I've gone through periods where I've traveled quite a bit um, and sort of mainly between the States and Australia. And sometimes I feel like I'm always missing a group of friends at any one time. And I get a bit frustrated with that. Do you ever have the feeling of being, I suppose you, you, you have your partner with you, which I guess must ground you in a certain way, but do you ever feel an urge to put down roots and just stay in one place and go really deep into one place? Yes, actually, that's uh, something that has has been um, a thing that we've been talking about for a while. We've, uh, we've stayed in Bulgaria for the last two years, so it was the first time since we started traveling that we actually had a home base. Before that, we were moving every couple of months to a new place, and um, it has been really nice. And we've, we've still traveled, but, uh, you know, kept coming back to the same place and had an apartment here. But um, we're actually now talking about if we have kids uh, in the next couple of years, then it would be better for us and for them to have a more stable home base. Uh, and we haven't decided where that's going to be, but we're thinking maybe Netherlands. Netherlands. Interesting. Why, why the Netherlands? Um, we've, uh, we've met some interesting people there and there's some interesting opportunities and also the school system seems to be really good and it's, you know, a, a stable country that has its stuff together. <laughs> I met someone from, With, um, um, Finland recently and, and uh, she said that in Finland, every school has to be a secular school. So private and religious schools are actually not allowed and uh, teachers are 
incredibly well paid there. And it's just, you know, a lot of these things make so much common sense that it's, it's like, you know, you wonder why other countries, you know, like in Australia, public school teachers, I don't know how well looked after they are. And so then then you people aim for private schools and then they got to earn a lot of money to pay for the private schools and that puts them under pressure to get on the rat race. And, and so it all goes. Yeah, uh, the school system, that's a whole other conversation. You know, it, it, the way that it's currently structured, it prepares people to be really good cogs in the corporate wheel, but it doesn't prepare them to be free-thinking humans. So, Absolutely. <laughs> more, more play, less classrooms time. Yeah, and actually, I, I wanted to comment on something you said earlier about that, that um, we in the Western world um, are really focused on efficiency because that's how our society is structured. You know, efficiency is rewarded. If you, you know, as a business owner, if you can make your business more efficient, then you make more money. And uh, if you can, as, a, as an individual, if you can pack more things into your day, then you can, well, you can get more things done. And But actually, research on happiness has shown that people are happier who have time in their day when they don't do anything at all, where they're able to just be, whether that's in meditation or walking in nature or just sitting and, and contemplating and not having to do anything. You know, if you think about how we evolved as humans, we probably had a lot of free time. We would hunt and we would take care of our children and we would, you know, do the obligations that we have, but we probably had a lot of time where we could just sit and look up at the stars and contemplate our own existence. And I think that's really important and it's really overlooked in the Western society just to have that time to unfocus. As the saying goes, if uh, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat, right? Yes. And what does it mean to be a rat? You know, like, does a rat ever contemplate its own existence? Who am I? Why am I here? I think dogs do. I was I was at my sister's place last night and uh, it was late at night and uh, the dog looked on the couch and it just really looked like it was just pondering the meaning of life. Dogs sometimes do look like they are questioning that. Oh, uh, yeah. I, would, I, I mean, it's a speculation, but I would say that every creature probably ponders its own existence on some level. Yuvi, been great talking to you. Before we go, um, name a couple of podcasts besides your own that you enjoy listening to. Ah, well, it's <laughs> I really enjoy uh, Joe Rogan's podcast because it's so broad and unpretentious, and he also likes to talk to a wide variety of people. Duncan Trussell is also a good one. He's very weird and and funny, and also unpretentious. Um, but actually, I'm, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, okay, interesting. to be honest. I prefer audiobooks because a lot of the time the, the author has spent uh, a long time thinking about the topic before it's distilled into a book. So I really enjoy those. I have an Audible subscription and I, I listen to quite a lot of audiobooks. I think you'd enjoy Christopher Ryan's podcast called Tangentially Speaking. I don't know if you've ever listened to his podcast. 
he's an author. He's sort of a sociology, sociological sort of human behavior guy, and uh, he's also a digital nomad. And uh, he but he interviews interesting people that he bumps up against in uh, on his travels. Uh, it's it's very much in in the style of of the guys that. Uh, the life that you guys are, are living. T- tell me uh, quickly about uh, some of the most recent books that you've enjoyed. Ah, well, let me pull up my. Uh, are they all nonfiction? Book list. Mm. <laughs> uh, I like to listen to a lot of weird books, and I've been kind of on a kick with with uh, esoteric stuff and spirituality. The Art of Parallel Perception is one that I'm listening to right now, which is about sort of dream work and shamanism mm-hmm. it's weird <laughs> and um living with the himalayan masters is another one that i listened to recently which is a, a kind of a story of this guy who sets out on a journey to get enlightened and uh goes to all these different sages in the himalayas do you listen to these audiobooks when you what do you just exercising or I listen to audiobooks a lot when I'm walking and exercising I'm just curious about uh, your habits um yeah while I'm doing housework while I'm exercising while I'm walking uh, sometimes I'll listen to an audiobook laying in bed I find that better because then you're not staring at a screen you know if you're winding down at the end of the day because obviously the the blue light from your device is not really helpful for a healthy sleep so i like to do that great yuvi ivanova the future thinkers podcast co-host and entrepreneur being great chatting to you i really enjoy your podcast i hope you're gonna you guys are gonna keep them coming maybe our paths will cross one day look forward to staying in touch and look forward to uh, being part of your your future community whatever that's going to be i'm not sure about the netherlands maybe a little bit um, gray for me, I have to be honest. I was thinking more like Hawaii or um, you know New Mexico or something like that. Yeah, yeah, who knows? We don't know yet actually about the in-person community. So if people have ideas, please send them to me. <laughs> Great. We'll, we'll put um, the link to your podcast um, on the show notes. And thanks so much for joining us today on the It's a Monkey podcast. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Manage Flitter can help you quickly and cheaply build an organic following on Twitter? Let me explain in six easy steps. Step one, find new prospects on Twitter with Power Mode, Manage Flitter's advanced Twitter search feature. Step two, easily filter and sort results to find the most relevant Twitter accounts for you to follow. Step three, follow these Twitter accounts using Manage Flitter's simple interface. Step four, unfollow accounts that do not follow you back within 14 days. Step five, watch your Twitter follower numbers grow as high quality accounts follow you back. Step six, rinse and repeat to maintain consistent organic Twitter account growth. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. Kate, have you ever listened to the Future Thinkers podcast? No, no, I haven't yet. I, um, 
listened to the interview with UV just today and um, looked at their website, but I'll definitely check it out. I think it'll be a good one. Yeah, they've they've uh, had some fantastic guests on it, and um, yeah, it's interesting chatting also about the remote work nomadic lifestyle, you know, experience, which is which is quite interesting. I think everyone everyone sort of thinks it's a dream, and I think it also depends on stage of life. And I think if you if you're in your twenties, I think it pretty much is a dream to be able to do that. But <laughs> as you are living it a bit, <laughs> well, you are living it. Yes. Um, but I it think it's pretty good. Uh, I'll vouch for it. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think I think to d- I think uh, definitely it's got its use by as well. I think there's something natural about putting down roots as well, but that you know I guess that comes at a later stage in life. Yeah, um, potentially for her too. You know, she's as she said, her husband does it with her. So, I mean, while exactly. she's got Best someone else, worlds, they, they right? can yeah they can keep going. They don't actually have to settle down too much, I guess. But while you're single, yeah, I think just go for it. Well, I think, you know, it also depends on your circumstance. I think a lot of countries are so, um, the visa issues complex, you know, uh, the Australian passport is a very good, a very good one to have. There's lots of opportunities. I think I may have mentioned on the show before, you know, with the South African passports where I grew up, almost zero opportunities to do that. Just didn't, just wasn't an option. No one did it because it wasn't an option. I think eventually they, there was some visa for London eventually where you could go and to have a working holiday in London and I think that still exists but besides that it was the usual you would have to either go tourist visa or you could you know full-on migration visas which are a whole big story but this whole situation these days where you guys can just hop over to all these different countries and get working visas and reciprocal visas and work on farms and this and that just didn't exist you know but it's great I agree if you've got the opportunity there's nothing Nothing more enriching than traveling, but it's great they've also been able to make a living out of, uh, I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, for many years, um, I've always loved northern New South Wales, which is a beautiful part of the country. And people would always say to me, it's a great place to live as long as you've got work. It's hard to get work here. Yeah. It'd be a challenge. Interesting they said, though, like, I guess through their podcast, they start making connections and now they're doing marketing work for some uh, blockchain businesses so I suppose as long as you kept connected and you kept within tech in a broad sort of term I think you could sustain it for for a while at least anyway oh you definitely could you definitely could I mean the more that the more that I think about remote work especially in tech you know the more the more it makes sense and I'm more and more it seems like a lot of the office time is just a waste and and token or it can be um, especially in our industry you know, especially in our industry. So I think we're going to see more and more of this. And you know, it'd be nice if there are even little hubs form with, and I think they've already started. I think Bali, for instance, in the, in the Russian winter, there's a lot of, you know, Russian developers that move to Bali or they're working remotely mm. and they, they, they sit nicer, uh, in sit much, stay in much nicer weather. Um, but yeah, they cover a lot of blockchain technologies on their podcast. By the way, have you seen the price of Bitcoin lately? No. Holy dooly. No. Oh, actually, I didn't. I read something. Didn't it break through three grand? It broke through four grand. Four grand. Okay. Jeez. Um, yeah, it's uh, oh, it's been four thousand two hundred US. Wow, per and Bitcoin. Bear in mind, about six months ago, it was four hundred dollars. Right, four hundred 
first 4,200. You work out the return on that. It's nuts. Just in four, nuts. in six months, six, seven months. Um, it's crazy. So uh, actually, as usual, I get a – sorry, go. Uh, so I've met a bunch of people here who are very annoyed that they sold their Bitcoin <laughs> a couple oh, look, of years ago. They're just shaking their heads like, why? Why? <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty. It's 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 always easier after the fact. But, yeah, I see every now and then on Facebook or whatever, you know, it's like – I got a few yoga friends on Facebook and they're so far removed from tech. And every now and then I see, I want to learn about Bitcoin, mm. you know, and uh, it's good luck. It's, obviously, That's all I have yeah, to say. Obviously, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it's, it's when, when things start to make money, everyone gets interested, understandably so. I meant more um, on the understanding point of view. Like it's, it's no easy oh, thing yeah. to get your head around. No, it's not, it's not an easy thing to get your head around. Let's have a quick look at Snapchat's share price while we add it. Haven't looked at that not in a while. 13. So it's, yeah, it's struggling a bit. It's a Twitter share price. So, so Snapchat listed went right up to 27. Yeah. And, yeah, it's come all the way down to 13. Twitter share price has also came down a little bit, I think, 15.87. Yeah, it's also come down over the over the last month. It's sort of over the last month. It hit 2053 at one stage. Yeah. And, of course, the darling of the industry, the Facebook share price, it's 166. But it's also come down um, the last month. It hits 172. Wow. It's a big difference considering people generally sort of, in my mind anyway, sometimes you sort of you basket Facebook in like a, a social media category so it's just facebook twitter snapchat and then when you look at the share price like facebook is just worth a ridiculous amount more oh yeah no look the, the the market cap of facebook and the users and everything of facebook it's facebook's in its own league it's almost not worth it's it's a it's a outlier it's a special case you know but the markets are all a little bit down at the moment i think with the talk of war and the politics in the u.s and there's there's a lot of uncertainty um, there was a lot of hope that things would um, do well and, uh, you know, with the new presidency. But um, there's, there's, as uncertainty just continues to creep in. Uh, but markets are complex. No one knows really what it's about. Uh, I mean, no one can really predict accurately. So anyway, I think that's episode 103. It's a monkey podcast with Kate Frappel, design leader, managed flitter. And myself, I'm the CEO. You can follow Kate on Twitter, Kate Frappel. You can follow myself on Twitter, KE underscore GA. You can email us if you want to be a guest on the show, podcast at itsmonkey.com. If you want to just let us know that you listen to it, if you want to just stay in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Give us an iTunes rating as well. That helps us a lot. And uh, have a good week wherever you are. See ya. <laughs>